Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300 is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, this is episode 323 of Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue. We've got a great lineup for you for this episode. Yeah, we're going to start out first with an author feature featuring Robert Bathurst, known as Sir Anthony on Downton Abbey, about his audiobook narration of Louise Penny's latest Inspector Gamache novel, A World of Curiosities, which Publishers Weekly calls a virtuoso 18th novel that blends nuanced characterization with nail-biting suspense. Next, we have a two-minute tip from Charlotte Lit by Paul Reale called Part 3 of the Series on Scenes, Knowing Your Characters in Scenes. Uh, next, we're going to have a feature, uh, Jenny Liu, author of Inley and the Buskin Blues, uh, releasing uh, in February of this uh, year with her blog post, The Literary Ecosystem at Work for an Introverted Book Marketer. And then we're going to finish up today with reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming in the next episode. All right. Well, before we get into that, uh, let's check in with each other uh, and see what's up. What's up, hosts? What's up, Sarah? Ah, uh, gosh, not much. <laughs> I've been, <laughs> let's see, lately I've been um, spending some time preparing for a couple of different like teaching, speaking engagements I've got coming up about screenwriting. One of them is for the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library System. I think, let's see, this episode I believe is coming out on the 24th, so it will already have happened at that point, but I'm currently preparing for that now. And then I've got a screenwriting class I'm teaching in February for Charlotte Lit, which is going to be a three-night seminar, kind of an intro to screenwriting. Um, So also starting to get my lessons planned for that. And you can register for that on their website if you're interested. Um, We've also been putting together this quote book series for the podcast that Landis has sourced quotes from all of our past episodes. And we're putting together eight books of those. So I've been helping out with that and doing some copy editing and writing forwards. And it's been a lot of fun and interesting to go through and read those quotes. There's a lot of really good um, inspirational material in there and practical material. I was just last night reading the, the marketing book and so I feel very like jazz to go out there and <laughs> I feel like I need to be uploading stuff on like, motivated. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've been pushing both y'all pretty hard on that, but uh, it's going to be great. We'll talk more about that. But uh, uh, Hannah, what's up? Uh, not a whole lot, honestly, just momming around, you know, momming it up. I'm uh, <laughs> kind of recovering from being sick the last couple of weeks. So that and getting back in the swing of working. Um having a lot of fun. I'm excited to be back at work. It's I've had, I feel like I've, um, maybe it was cause I wasn't feeling great last week, but this week I feel like I've had like a, an abnormal amount of energy. I don't know if that's like what that 
I don't, I guess I'm always pretty energetic, but like, I'm like, let's go do something. But, um, but yeah, just getting back into work. I'm really excited about, you know, being able to help share more stories with the world this spring. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And yeah, I've been reading through the quote books that you've shared the early drafts of, and there are like so many great nuggets in there just from authors all across the spectrum too. just like self-published, best-selling, like all sorts of people coming in, sharing their stories. And I would agree with you, Sarah, it's like, you're reading that stuff and you're like, wow, I'm even more motivated now. I'm trying to like <laughs> do something. <laughs> like, who fire, wants to talk right? to me about creativity? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like that scene in Animal House where they run out, all that, run out of the fraternity house and they're going to yeah. you know, just mm-hmm. take, like, take the school by charge. storm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or at the end of like, is it Breakfast Club when they're like walking across yeah. the uh, oh, field yeah, and they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Saunter, sauntering around. Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, well, to pick up on that theme, I just, I just got through, um, did a book club uh, last night first of the new year on daily declarations. And so I'll be doing some more of that in the spring, but uh, yeah, I have been kind of working hard on this, uh, uh, what we're calling the right quotes series uh, for about the past six months. I've been collecting all these quotes and uh, Sarah and Hannah are helping me uh, edit them up and we're starting into the interior design phase. We should have uh, the first one uh, up and uh, for pre-order in early uh, February and uh, we'll have more information about that. And we're going to release a, uh, Gosh, eight books, and um, it's amazing how much I've forgotten in four years. It's uh, there's there's so much good stuff there. I think it went straight to my subconscious because had I not done this, I wouldn't be able to have this record. So this is going to be great. The first book, by the way, uh, listeners, is going to be free. We're going to put that up. So on the writing life, uh, uh, we're we're pulling this from 500 plus uh, interviews over the past four years, and also from uh, some blog posts and. Uh, other things we've done. So it um, should be fun. should be great. Uh, we'll be working hard on that uh, next couple of weeks here in January to get uh, to get those uh, put together and probably February too, so that uh, we'll have books to talk about uh, every month beginning in March. So it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, that's kind of what's going on with me. Um, hey, let's, uh, let's hear what Libro has to say uh, or what Sarah has to say about Libro. Then let's jump into Act One. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, so we're in Act 1. Uh, this is uh, where we've got a author feature, and uh, actually the author here is Louise Penny, but uh, the feature involves Robert Bathurst, uh, who Sarah mentioned in the opening is known as Sir Anthony. On Downton Abbey, we don't have the little music to play in the background, which y'all can just imagine. Imagine that as this scene opens up. Robert, in addition to playing Sir Anthony on Downton Abbey, was also in last year's The Edge of War on Netflix. The British TV and stage star has performed eight of Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache novels for Macmillan Audio and has been nominated for three Audi Awards, winning Best Male Narrator in 2020. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, before you mention the book, uh, Sarah, I actually got caught up in a Netflix series recently um, about uh, Inspector Gamache. Uh, it's set up in Canada, and they take like three of her novels and kind of mush them together uh, in this. And it's pretty interesting. It's an interesting character. But uh, So tell us about this particular book. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that series. I think it might be on Amazon. It's it's supposed to be good. Um, but So this is the 18th book in 
number one New York Times bestseller Louise Penny's series about Chief Inspector Ramon Gamache. Um, it's a it's a great series. It's a great book. It starts out with it being spring and Three Pines is reemerging after the harsh winter, but not everything buried should come alive again. Not everything lying dormant should reemerge, but something has. So it starts out with them finding um, one dead body, but then the case kind of goes in all sorts of directions you wouldn't expect. And there's a lot of backstory. There's a, a bricked up attic room where they discover some really interesting evidence. Um, it's a really twisty, interesting murder that's also very character based. Uh, and it's gotten a lot of praise, a lot of really good reviews. Library Journal gave it a starred review and made it their pick of the month. They said Penny's novel is intense as the te- detective digs deep into his own fears. The darkness in this intricately plotted story forces readers to search for contrasting moments of hope. Yeah, I may have said Netflix. I can't ever tell whether I'm, the last show I watched was on Netflix or Amazon <laughs> or some other streaming device. <laughs> it used to be easy. You just turn on the TV and you went back to where you know where you were. But uh, the, I think some of this story that you're talking about here is part of that series as well. So oh, Yes. You know what's funny? Mm-hmm. Yes, I butchered the name when I was explaining this, but I've watched Three Pines. So <laughs> I was like, you're, you're, you're saying this and I'm like, oh, this is the Amazon show. Yeah. With, I forget the actor that's in it. But yeah, it's, it's a good it series. Alfred Molina, I think, I think starts Yes, it. yes. Um, he was in, he, I think he was like in Spider-Man too. <laughs> I was like, is that the villain from Spider-Man? But yeah, it's on Amazon. I think it's still coming out right now, but it's really good. It's kind of creepy. All right. Well, now you're going to get to hear... Sarah's uh, podcast voice and Bathurst audio narrator voice. Uh, So let's play the interview. So I'm so excited to be here today with Robert Bathurst, narrator of A World of Curiosities by Louise Penny. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about the book, A World of Curiosities. But before we dive into that, um, I did want to ask you just a little bit about your acting work. Our listeners obviously won't be able to see this, but if they could, I'm sure many of them would recognize you from some of your on-screen roles. You've been in programs like Doctor Who, um, The Edge of War on Netflix, and Down Abbey, which I'm a fan of. So (laughs) as that's one of my favorites, I would love to just ask, do you have any favorite memories from filming that series? Yeah, well, I uh, yeah, I mean, I loved doing that series, and I was in uh, the first series, and then the Christmas one, and then the third series, and uh, I left uh, Lady Edith at the altar, and um, was uh, booed in the street by many people uh, from London to Chicago. I was working in Chicago, and people were stopping me and wow. <laughs> telling me I'd done the wrong thing, but it did mean that Laura Carmichael's character. Um, Lady Edith went off and uh, for the next three series, four series or whatever, the more they did, uh, was able to have many more adventures. So uh, I did her as an actor, <laughs> a good favor, but the, the character people uh, criticized dear old Anthony Strallen for, for, for leaving her stranded at the altar. <laughs> it is funny how people conflate actors and their characters and you, you know, get blamed know, or you get the credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the two yes quite. yeah um so to get into louise penny's book a little bit this is your eighth time i believe narrating her inspector gamache novels um so i'd imagine that you know the world and the characters pretty well by this point i know when when i was reading or listening to this book i found it very suspenseful and surprising there were a lot of twists and turns that i really didn't see coming but for you at this point since you're so into the world of the books are you still in suspense as you read are you able to kind of anticipate where the story is going to go well, yes, every, every year, I, I, well, for the last eight years, I've um, received the latest of the books and uh, started prepping them for reading. And the first time I go through it, 
I often wonder if it's going to be the last one I'm ever going to read because I can't believe that Gamash is possibly going to get out of this pickle that mm-hmm. he's in. How, how can he? How can he escape? Um, and I'm not giving anything away by saying, um, uh, well, he's, he gets into a pickle again. I tell you, and uh, so. It is really exciting, and, and, and the tension is through all the way through. I do play a game with the um, studio manager, the, the engineers that I work with when recording these books, and I ask them at about halfway through and about three-quarters of the way through and uh, toward, right towards the end. I say, who did it? Who do you reckon did it? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I can report that they always get it wrong, and, which is an indication of what Louise is up to. I mean, she's... she's uh, masterful in her in her construction of, of how she creates these books mm-hmm. and so she yeah and 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 all the avenues that she deflects you towards are plausible and 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 there's every reason for for for, for thinking x was in, involved when uh, in fact it was y and so that's what's so clever and they're characterful they're properly characterful in terms of plotting of course they're logical and uh, and and plausible but uh, everything comes out of character, and she writes characters so well. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, I think she really, in addition to creating such a complex and suspenseful plot, she creates really interesting characters that are very three-dimensional and surprising in and of themselves, too. Um, and she also really digs deeply into moral questions and themes. There's a lot of darkness and evil in the world of the book, but there's also a lot of goodness and light and moments of redemption. Um, can you talk about maybe some of the themes that you saw emerging from the story? I think redemption, what you mentioned there, is key, absolutely key, because she writes, and this is very difficult. I mean, everybody can write about evil. Everybody, it's, it's very good to, to it's, not, it's not difficult, it's not easy, but you can, I think evil is easier to write about than goodness. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, there's a lot of evil in these books, and the people have motives, and some of the motives are clouded by great complication. And one understands perhaps why they, why they did commit the things that they did, but but ultimately, and it isn't soppy, it isn't sentimental. It's actually got an emotional core, and it is essentially about goodness. And it is about. I mean, I do. Feel, I think the the Gamash character. I don't know if you know C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories, which mm-hmm. yeah, sort of you know, foundations in, in, in But they, he's rather like Aslan, the the lion in that. Who who, I mean Aslan. Isn't a, a chief inspector and hasn't dealt out the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the treatment to uh, to to people in, in as a policeman, but but he has he has essential uh, goodness, and 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 that is the the, the vein that runs through this, um, and it is still nonetheless dramatically exciting. I think goodness is much less easy to be to be made dramatically exciting than than, than evil, and um, somehow Louise is balanced between. The conflicts that that this man um, encounters, uh, the resolution that he uh, has to has to find, and and the sense of redemption, which which um, at a time when you know, life is well, people calling into question whether 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 goodness can prevail ever again in any quarter of the globe, uh, I think that this is is a beacon in that in the sense and a beacon of the spirit without being too spiritual about it. I think it is a beacon of the spirit. And uh, I think that they, these books do represent um, uh, the, the notion that actually goodness can prevail and redemption does does exist. Yeah, that's. I think that's really beautifully put. And 
that also kind of relates to a quote that I have here from you. Um, you called Louise Penny's books a manifesto on how to live well in a cruel world. Can you expand a little bit more on what you mean by that? Well, just because life is cruel and, and one can get very lowered by that. I think everything, all the, all the conflicts that one has in one's uh, life and also the ones that we, we witness in, through the media um, drive you down. And, uh, and I think people uh, do get very, very lowered by, by that. And um, you have to cling on to, to where you find grace and, 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 and understanding. And, um, and I think these books embody that. So, um, and she writes violence really well. I mean, and she writes, she writes, she's a very sensual writer and she writes about food. She writes taste. She writes about cold. She's brilliant at writing about cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose growing up in Quebec, she's, she's had enough experience of it, but she draws it so well. And she, draw, and she draws terror as well, really, really cleverly. And, 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 and conflict and, and tension. And, but, I mean, it, the, the, sort of the senses are piqued by what she writes. And so I think that, uh, that when one is faced with 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 evil when you think that there is no way out um uh the, she draws a, a path towards some release from that and i think that's um that's very exciting to to, to engage oneself with yeah that's that's a great point you made too about the the senses and how she writes that so well too um and it almost reflects how she has the the strong good and the strong evil in the stories but there's also this the setting has like a, um it's very cold and forbidding in some ways but also this really warm lovely welcoming town in other ways and she combines those things beautifully um so yeah that, that that's very interesting and and also like you were mentioning before her characters are very complex and very compelling um inspector gamash the protagonist is a very interesting character to read i would imagine that he's an interesting character to to play or to narrate um can you tell us a little bit more about some of what you find compelling about armand gamash well, uh, well Angamash is is it's his, his strength really and um it's, 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 well, the, the point I made about earlier slightly about 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 goodness not being dramatic it's it's um he is he is con- conflicted because he's he's endlessly coming across um things which he could walk away from i mean he and and he confronts it and and he he goes in and acts which we're in a way which um, someone with less moral worth fiber um, would shimmer away from. And I love that, that the fact that he is, 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 is strong um, physically and, and, and emotionally and, uh, and yet is susceptible too. Uh, so I think there's a, there's a, there's a di- and also you're, you're, you're sometimes call into question his motives. Uh, and you, you do, he, he sometimes gets into trouble and you think, oh, blimey, well, maybe, maybe he has, mm-hmm. he has done something that is culpable. Um, and he flies close to the wind. I mean, there's a, there was a, a very good story a few years ago about what he did when um, opioids were, were coming across the border. And he had to make a very difficult decision on that. And he had to roll the dice in a way which um, most people would have shirked. And and so he's human, and he's and he's and he's frail, and he's uh, in the sense of you know he's susceptible to things going in his life going wrong, and and and, and he's concerned for the, of the well-being of the, those he loves around him, which is a, quite a wide net 
and and I, I enjoy I enjoy his complication, and I love the way that Louise has has, has written him, where you sometimes do actually doubt the man, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and think, well, maybe he's overstepped here, and and uh, and 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 his reputation will be uh, sullied forevermore. But uh, this, he, he he I mean the motives that he he has are um, uh, are, are always based in, in in wisdom and grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that Penny is really adept at is knowing sort of when to draw the curtain. She she gives you a lot of access to his character and you feel like you know him well, but then she knows in certain moments to kind of keep you in suspense about his motives or what he's going to do, how he's going to get out of something. You do have those moments where you kind of question him, um, which keeps it really interesting. And other characters as well. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't, they sometimes, uh, you think you know them. I mean, they're characters I've lived with for eight years, but then um, you, you suddenly find aspects of them like you know, like like humans and people one knows and people one thinks one knows. Uh, unexpected aspects of 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 what they've done, have done, uh, come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and so, in addition to the characters, one of the things that comes up in this book is art. There's a, a, a an actual historical painting that is used in the book as. A key part of the mystery um there are some characters who are artists i correct me if i'm wrong but i i believe i read on your imdb um, bio that your wife is an artist so i was curious did mm. you talk with her at all about this book or get her perspective on the the art in it uh, i didn't you know i um it's not something i um addressed with that so it's a painting that's on in norwich norwich mm-hmm. in norfolk in in the in the in uh, east anglia here um so no this wasn't um a piece of work that I discussed with her. So uh, I um, I don't often discuss my work with her. I only discuss my work mm-hmm. with my wife um, when she needs to sleep, <laughs> and I tell her all about my I tell her all about my job, and she's usually out within thirty seconds. <laughs> I, I can understand as a writer that's I, I do the same thing um, but I would love to a little bit to learn a little bit more about the actual process of um, how you narrate and put together these audiobooks and I'm curious did you work directly with Louise Penny at all in in doing these does she give any sort of direction or guidance does she collaborate at all um, I've got to know Louise over the over this period and um, so my first um, uh, uh, relationship with her was just simply through her books and the, the book would arrive and I would do them and what I, I'm very I'm sure about it I never asked her and I uh, make this presumption that she doesn't listen to the audiobook because she's got those voices in her head when she's reading mm-hmm. them and I would have thought she's incre- she's ex- extremely supportive of the audiobook aspect of this um, these series but and we do discuss it at the end of the audio for glass houses was the first time I met her and uh, she came into the studio after just on the day we finished. She happened to be in London, and she I interviewed her for three quarters of an hour for the for the um, DVD, you know, the CDs, and uh, presumably it's on stream as well. Um, and it was fascinating for me because I was able, I had all these questions, and I'd read I think probably about four or five of these books at the time, and so I had all these questions. I, I mean, it's all just, we just free ranged. I didn't think mm-hmm. I stuck to any any script, and um, so I was able to say about this and talk to her about process. And but no, I I, I take it off the page, and I would never bring her up and well, I, I could contact her and say um, how about this, how about that, because I feel this as an actor sometimes as well when you're doing a play. If it isn't on the page, you know, <laughs> it's 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 uh, okay. You can you can imagine it. But uh, work, from, first of all, from what's on the page. And she's so complete in what she writes. Then I, um, 
and it's off and my interpretation is not something i'd ask her to to consider partly because she would never listen to it and she wants her voices to remain her voices in her head uh but also um it's she's very 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 generous and and says get on with it and uh and uh and when when the you know the earphones awards and the audience nominations and all that sort of thing comes along she's um she's cock a hoop and very very supportive of it yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and, and I feel like audiobook narration must be a very um, challenging job as as an actor because you're kind of a one-man show. You know, you're, you're the narrator and you're also all of the characters. And in listening to this, I really appreciated how you you made subtle distinctions between all the characters and kept them kept them distinct. Um, how do you come up with the voices for the different characters? I work very, very hard in, in trying to do that. I mean, when, when we had one set in Paris about two books ago, uh, it was very important not to make everybody sound like Inspector Clouseau. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, that was a challenge. Uh, yeah, there were 40 characters in that one. And I think that I didn't come under the counting the ones for World of Curiosities, this latest one. But yes, there's over, usually over 20, 25 of them. And uh, some of them are regulars and some of them are, are the new ones. So yes, I, I do. I just sort of, I don't know. I don't, I don't read them. I don't, first time I read the books, I don't think about what, how they might sound. I just read them as a reader. And uh, so once I got an overview of it and the characters and everything like that, then for the second time I read them, I go into those individuals and um, do find, try to find the essence of of what I think, where their their voice might come from, the pacing of them, how they phrase things um, and and the speed at which they write and uh, they they, they speak and and all those other things. Often often the clues are in there. Louise Mm -hmm. will have written some description, which is of course vital and, and, and very very helpful and so that's where it comes but i would say it's not a one person show this i would i would shout out the director lorelei king who's uh, an already winning narrator in her own right and a fine actor and also a very very good director and we collaborate and uh often i will when i go into the booth um we don't discuss it in the days before but when when we start and i've got my my i think i've got uh, ideas for how i want to do the characters um, when we get to that character, I will discuss it with her, and I'll do it through. Her. And she she will often she'll nudge it, and she'll she'll discuss it, and and then we land on what we agree is 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 the right area to go. So I have my audience already with Lorelai uh, to 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 bounce off. So it's not just my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I I I road test it with her, and also there's lots of other things that she picks up on and uh, and does a really fine directing job. So. It's a, it is a collaboration with, with Lorelai. Oh, well, that's wonderful. That's an interesting sort of insight into how that process works. Um, and, and I'm interested too, since you do both narration and traditional on screen and on stage acting, um, can you talk a little bit about how those things are different? Like, would you deliver a line differently if you're just relying on your voice versus if you're performing with your whole body? I see it as entirely the same. I don't, I don't, I don't think film or radio... Uh, narration or TV or anything is has there are technical things you know you've gone on stage you've got to get to row Z make sure they can hear it and they row A get the equal benefit um, on TV yes or it is I think it's exactly the same I also think the eyes are important the eyes I mean I, I think as far as I'm concerned when when narrating I um, I uh, I'm I'm doing it. You know, it's it's behind the eyes as well, and and it comes from wherever 
wherever it comes from, as as it would with any um, with any character that you're playing. So I don't I don't regard them as they're separate techniques involved because of, of, of where your audience is sitting, whether your audience is just in your ears or whether they're receiving it or whether they're receiving it from a distance. Of course, there's technical differences there and how you present it. But the actual essence of it, I think, is exactly the same. It's about engaging the audience wherever they might be and, um, and, and finding them and welcoming them in. Don't pin them back. Welcome them in and uh, engage and, and lead them through what the author is trying to achieve. Well, this, is, this has been really fascinating to get your perspective. I've never talked to somebody who's narrated an audio book um, before, so we really appreciate this. And before I let you go, I just wanted to ask, um, what's next for you? Do you have any projects or roles coming up that you can tell us about? Um, well, on TV and film, I'm not so sure what's coming out. At the moment, I'm sitting in my dressing room at the theatre in London, uh, where I'm playing Scrooge in a, t- in a Tennessee Dolly Parton version <laughs> of The Christmas Carol. Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol, which we're playing in London over over Christmas for a month here, and uh, so we're all from. She's transplanted the Victorian London to Tennessee in 1936 with Appalachian string band music, and I'm having a great time. It's the first musical I've ever done, and so uh, so we're we're live. I'm, I'm adoring it. I've never done a musical before. I've never been never got so close to musical theatre people. Uh, so this is a this is a first, and I'm loving every second of it. Oh, I love that. I wish I could be there to see it. It's it's funny that it's a, a Tennessee version of A Christmas Carol, but you're performing it in London. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, well exactly. No, it started in Boston, and, and of course, with the, with the pandemic, they, they didn't, weren't able to develop it in 2020. So they brought it here, for, uh, and uh, and Dolly Parton, as all her collaborators, they've written it with her. I mean, she's written the, the songs and, uh, and, and the lyrics, and she's been receiving videos of the... Uh, of rehearsals and uh, her collaborators have been have been here. So yes, it's, they're launching it here, and I, I suspect it'll be on in the states over the next few years because it's a great show. Well, that's wonderful. Um, well, good luck with your performance today, and thank you so much for being here with us on the show. Jeffrey, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the costs of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out. And in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Weir's podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute. All right, well, we're here in uh, Act 2. I would add to the last uh, little bit there on Patreon that uh, all of our patrons are going to get uh, all eight books in the uh, Right Quote series uh, for free. It's not really for free because you're paying a little bit to support us every month, but uh, it's our thank you to those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. You can go there for as little as $5 a month and you'll get access to over 150 episodes and you'll also get uh, the Right Quote series as it comes out uh, in 2023, uh, quotes from the first four years that uh, are inspiring and practical. I'll have to work that into a little uh, like audio thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See what we can do there. But uh, hey, so we're here. Um, we're now into the two-minute tip uh, stage of things. Uh, we've got another tip from Paul Reality. Uh, this month he's doing a series on scenes. This one is uh, entitled Knowing Your Characters and Your Scenes. We'll uh, play that, and then we'll have some conversation. This tip is part of a series about writing good scenes. Scenes are the building blocks of stories, novels, memoirs, films, and plays. 
and writing scenes contains a variety of skills. For today's tip, we look at the importance of really knowing your characters at more depth and clarity than we probably have about ourselves. As the scene appears on the page, there's a lot that we witness. Words spoken, tonality, gestures, body language, physical action, and so on. Think of all that as the part of the iceberg that's above the surface. But just as in real life, with icebergs and with people, there's a lot more happening below the surface. All that exists below is what makes your characters rich and realistic when they appear on the page in scenes. The deep structure below the surface includes elements such as your character's beliefs, values, biases, prejudices, experiences, fears, dreams, feelings, and on and on. If you know these for your characters, you can write scenes with those elements in mind. Here are some examples. Is your character, say, a practicing Catholic or a lapsed one or Jewish or an atheist? Is your character a vocal liberal or a closeted conservative? Has your character traveled the world or never left their home state? Does your character fear failure or being abandoned? Does your character suffer from imposter syndrome or maybe narcissism? You need to know what does your character truly want? What is it that prevents them from achieving that? I could go on a long time here about the things you need to know, but the question is, how does this change how your character behaves in scenes. Now here's your action step. Get to know your characters on a deep level. Free write about them, interview them, act as their therapist. Everything you learn about them will affect how they behave in scenes and will make them come alive to your readers. Even if you reveal on the page only a tenth of what you actually know. For more two minute tips from Charlotte Litt, Listen to Beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelit.org slash tips. All right. Another uh, another great tip from uh, Paul Reale at uh, Charlotte Litt. Uh, Sarah, thoughts? Yeah, I think he's making some really good points there. Um, and the iceberg image is a really good one, too, because what you see over the surface, the, the text, is so much smaller than the subtext that's under the surface. And I think a lot of times for writers, there's this temptation when you come up with stuff about a character, you want to put it all out there on the page. You think, oh, I, I developed all this backstory. Like, I have to fit all of it in. I, I know all this stuff about the character. Let me find ways to work it all into the scene or the what's actually happening on the page. And sometimes you have to pull some of that back and realize that just because you know something doesn't necessarily mean that it actually belongs in the final story, but it's still good that you know all that. It's good that you did all that work and you dug in and you figured out the backstory of the character, but maybe not all of it ends up in the final scene. Um, but figuring out, you know, how do you pick out the right little moments and actions and words for the characters to take or things about, you know, what they wear, where they live, those little details that can put those elements of the personality or the backstory of the character into the scene in a way that, that makes it feel real for the reader, I think is really cool. And, and Hannah, I'm always uh, asking you questions to see it through your lens as a publicist, but I'm, I'm curious if uh, as you're reading books uh, for potential clients or whatever, you're looking, you're trying to figure out uh, what's below the surface or what might be, maybe exploit's not the right word, but what, what can you pull out from these books about these characters that might help actually interest people in the book uh, or finding out more about it? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think I love this conversation because I think my favorite part about reading is just connecting with the characters. And I, it kind of relates back to, like, I forget which episode this was. We were talking about um, just kind of don't explain it, show it, or don't put too many words in here, but just kind of show how this, you know, that kind of thing. Like, how can you just like without saying this character has a trauma has been traumatized when they were a child like how would a traumatized person act in a certain situation you know like that kind of thing um and i'm always like i think what connects readers to characters is the little quirks like that so it's like if i'm thinking about i know i talk about wally lamb all the time but something i love about his books is just how connected you are to the characters and like they've all been through something and like even if he's not constantly constantly writing about those experiences of the character you can kind of see how they act as a result of those experiences or like little things that are so specific to how they are as people um, and that kind of thing. I think it's sort of, it's what makes the story memorable more than anything else. I think is just the characters and how you relate to them. Um, And I love Paul's idea of just like thinking of um, like the writer thinking of themselves as the character's therapist, because that is kind of like, I think that is an incredible way to look at writing and mapping out your characters and helping them, helping the character help you tell the story. Um, That's just kind of a cool way to do it or interviewing them, whatever it might be, but just sort of, I don't know if you guys have seen the show, The Patient on Hulu. It's with Steve Carell and I realize this is a TV show, but um, it's kind of made me think of that. Just like thinking of your characters as uh, you being a therapist for your characters and just kind of like taking notes of all the little things that like stick out in your brain, like in this show the main character is a serial killer and he loves Doritos. <laughs> like, so you're just like, <laughs> this guy is just, and he's like obsessed with random restaurants. And you, but you remember that and you're just like, it's like a quirk. He, he like fo- hyper focuses on it. You know, it's just sort of an interesting thing, but yeah, I mean, I love, I love character stuff. So I think that's a great topic. Yeah. And I didn't interview my characters um, before I wrote uh, the book, um, kind of wrote along beside them, but I did interview three of my characters after I published the, the book, Daily Declarations, and we did it on the podcast. If you're curious about how that went, you can check back to what what we did in May where I uh, actually interviewed three of my characters and the narrator played the role of the characters. That was kind of fun to hear them uh, talk back to the author who might have certain ideas when they have something else uh, entirely in mind, particularly the, the villain who's uh, not very cooperative <laughs> at all sometimes. But I do think that uh, this is a good... Um, illustration of how uh, knowing all these things that Paul mentions about your character will help develop your voice uh, in a scene as well because um, you know how you tell the story uh, coming from a certain perspective like you said whether it's uh, you know someone that's uh, fearful or someone who's narcissistic or someone who's confident or someone who's afraid you know that that's going to come through in the way that the particular scene, uh, is being told, and uh, whether that's third person close or whether it's uh, first person. So I think having an idea about that helps you as you're writing the narrative. I mean, not every scene is going to expose the beliefs of characters because sometimes they might be running for their life, you know, and <laughs> right then they're just trying to live, right? We know that. But a lot of times when you're getting into conversation or dialogue, you're going to learn more about the characters. And knowing about them, as Paul says, uh, helps uh, on the front end have to really do too much uh, major editing, you know, on the back end. So good stuff there. Um, 
Hey, we're going to jump right into uh, another uh, uh, feature, craft craft type feature with a blog post. Uh, this time it's uh, Jenny Liu, and uh, she her blog post is titled "The Literary Ecosystem at Work for an Introverted Book Marketer." Sarah, tell us about uh, Jenny. Uh, sure. Jenny is the daughter of Chinese immigrants. She was brought up with an ear to two cultures, so she's been fascinated by the attitudes, social policies, and changes in China each time she visits. She lives in Western North Carolina with her husband and two sons. When she's not reading and writing, the other half of her time is spent working as an occupational therapist, which it, she says is fascinating and immersive on so many levels. And the last half of her time, it's all about the family and household. So she has three halves. <laughs> I'm sure that's relatable for a lot of working mothers. Um, she says if she had more time, she would travel more to eat street food and night markets, get stronger, more bendy and still-minded, ride more road, chill out more often in icy cold mountain swim holes, and grow more food. She's also the author of the young adult novels Girls on the Line and Like Spilled Water, and her middle grade novel Enley and the Buskin Blues, which was inspired by her sons in Asheville, releases next month in February. All right, well, let's listen in and then uh, talk about it the literary ecosystem at work for an introverted book marketer. When final edits were accepted for my first novel, I was ready to kick back and focus on my new work in progress. Then the author information packet arrived from my publisher, including six single spaced pages of what you can do to promote and sell your book. Ugh. Still, I wanted to prove myself to be worthy. So here's what happened next. I began to learn about the literary ecosystem from a class offered by local publicity group, Goldleaf Literary. They provided a reality check for expectations and focused more on building community with other writers and my local bookstore. My lovely Malaprops bookstore eventually hosted my launch, but at least before that, my kids and I attended an event there hosted by Alan Gratz, one of their favorite authors. I had the extreme fortune of sitting down next to Joanna Sullivan, who was releasing a novel six months before mine. Joanne did the great favor of blurbing my novel, suggesting it for a feature in the Mountain Express, hosting Q&A at my launch, pulling me onto several panels, and she just continues to be a fantastic member of mentor overall. Malaprops also asked me to help at other events, including hosting a Q&A for author Amber Smith, who went on to blurb my next novel. And years later, Alan graciously provided a blurb for my third book, Social Media. My agent and publisher both say that if social media isn't a natural fit, don't do it. I activated Facebook when I signed with my agent and have kept that mostly to friends and family, though I recently discovered Facebook groups. When I got a book deal, I joined Twitter, and over time, I've grown to appreciate it. I wouldn't say I reach tons of readers this way, but it's part of the ecosystem. I mostly boost other authors and share articles related to my titles. I try not to overdo the self-promotion because it irritates me when I get overexposed to other authors in their books. Surprisingly, I've connected with teachers and librarians, which helps in the young adult and middle grade space. I've found ARC sharing groups, that's advanced reader copy sharing groups, and I've discovered conferences and workshops, and I've watched how other authors developed their career and promoted themselves over time. I set up my own website. I've also learned to use PowerPoint for presentations and Canva for graphics. And for me, this takes so much time, but I can feel my brain cells multiplying, and some of it is fun. I haven't linked an email list to my website, although I've repeatedly heard this is the most effective self-marketing tool. Cold calling. 
Asking for blurbs from authors is an odious task. Asking people to review one's book on Goodreads or Amazon, ick. It's okay when people say no or ignore their requests. People are busy, but they can also be generous if the timing is good. Approaching bloggers and media, such as magazines, is much easier for me. Publishers help. My smaller publisher doesn't have the money to do a ton of publicity, according to my agent, but they're good for submitting for trade reviews and awards. Apparently, good reviews and awards really does boost sale. I was terribly nervous and just awful in my first interview. I joined Toastmasters after that and learned to prepare more. The anxiety has lessened each time, but I limit how much of this kind of thing I seek out. Conferences. I've attended two in-person writers' conferences, mostly for fun. I was able to write them off my taxes, and I made connections with other authors who, who have pulled me into events years later. The pandemic. Book two released in 2020. <laughs> Malprops hosted a Zoom book launch. I did enjoy being free from the self-induced pressure of seeking in-person events, and suddenly online author events and virtual resources exploded with specific topics such as the author platform, email lists, reaching out to libraries. When my publisher sent leftover advanced reader copies from canceled conventions, I emailed libraries to offer them a look. Many of them declined, but ordered the novel anyways. You know, others said to send the book along, and a few asked me to do Zoom chats with their patrons. You know, Earning out my advance for book one has taken four years, and the second book is very close just after two. How much has my efforts contributed to this? My sense is just a small amount, but I've discovered a wonderful literary community, which has truly made the marketing so much easier and enjoyable. All right. Well, I feel like um, given what we did in the first of the month here with the seven authors talking about marketing, bookmarking, we're hearing uh, one author's take, uh, uh, Jenny's take on uh, how she approached it. Hannah, I'm going to kick it to you first, being the book publicist. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of funny when, when she said uh, that uh, then the marketing package arrived in the mail and all her excitement kind of went <laughs> out the window. <laughs> when she said that, I was just like, I mean, honestly... <laughs> I feel like the first, like any kind of discovery call I have or first kickoff, project kickoff call or something, it's always just like, ugh. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about this. You want me to do what? You want me to do what? And I'm just like, okay, well. <laughs> um, yeah, she is not alone in that kind of, uh, you know, attitude about it. It's definitely overwhelming. But, you know, I think the big takeaway from what she's saying um, is just like, the community that she mentions and I know like the folks at Goldleaf like Lauren Hart I mean they're amazing over there very energetic I'm actually working with Lauren on a project right now and she's just like a beacon of knowledge so it's like if you're in western North Carolina she's just like the ultimate hype man um, and then Joanne Sullivan she's great too and I know you're familiar with her as well Landis it's just like I mean right there it's, she's naming and then Malaprops is a great bookstore it's like she's got all of these like the community over where she is she's kind of cracked that code I think like when it comes to especially as an I like the title of it as an introverted person <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean sometimes for introverts too you know it's like 
the biggest thing is building even like a couple of solid personal relationships and that's kind of all you need to do and she you know she's kind of present at these events and doing all the things that seem scary but are a little bit less scary when you have good people around you that know what they're doing um and then you know i like how she mentions just different stuff that you can like with canva there's like easier ways that you can go about like some of the more daunting tasks like social media marketing it's like you don't have to be like a guru with photoshop anymore in order to make cool graphics like you can just hop on canva and move some things around pick a template out and um call it a day or you know there's just like ways to make it fun and i think she mentioned that too in there it's just like some of it's kind of fun and i do feel like with um you know marketing in general it's all about your perspective and how you look at the project itself it's just like okay well maybe if I look at this event as a fun thing for me to go to get a glass of wine <laughs> eat some cheese and like <laughs> spread the word about my book you know and then it's it's just kind of thinking of it as more of a fun thing and like a community building thing a way to get support and find creative energy I think that's the best way to do it so I feel like she's I love that post she's she's doing all yeah, the right I think, stuff I, I think it was interesting that she said some of it was fun. <laughs> Which parts do you think are not fun, the two of you? Yeah, it's like, exactly. But but she but you know to her credit, not only did she do all the things she talked about in here, but uh, you know she took us up on the uh, offer to write a blog post, and then she followed yeah. up and did the audio piece, even though that might not have been in her comfort zone. And so that's another way for people to find out about her and what she's writing and learn about her young adult uh, novels. Uh, and another thing she mentioned is sort of the pressure that goes along with it sort of indirectly is this idea that you can tell it's on her mind that it's taken her so many years to, to earn out her advance on one book and maybe less time to earn out her advance on the second book. So that pressure, I think, exists whether you're an indie author or whether you're a traditionally published author. What, what were your reactions to this, Sarah? Um, I think there's so much good stuff in there. I love how she talks a lot about community, about, you know, reaching out and making connections with other authors, with bookstore owners, teachers, librarians, readers and writers on social media. Um, and I think it's interesting because she, you know, as you mentioned, she titled the post that she's an introverted book, book marketer. And I think a lot of writers are introverts and I can relate to that. And so sometimes that community aspect can actually be one of the parts that seems the most daunting up front is like, oh, I have to network and I have to go and talk to strangers and I have to go and do these public speaking events and reach out and ask people to give me reviews and blurbs and stuff. Um, and that can be, you know, it can be daunting, it can be tough, but it can also be one of the most rewarding parts of the whole experience because you do build that community and you can get tangible return from that in terms of people actually helping you out and hooking you up for events and giving you reviews. But there's also a real sort of intangible return in, in making that community and making connections and making real friends with people in the book community, in the book world. Um, and social media, I think, is one of those things that it can be really annoying sometimes and it can feel like it's a time suck but it can also be a great way to make like actual genuine connections with people um so i like that she was honest about the fact that she she uses it but she's not like a huge social media person and she kind of picks and chooses what she wants to do but i think if you can find your niche there it can be really valuable yeah and i, I we're glad to have jenny as part of our community now this is what we what we do this while we do this thing we do because we want to you know build community and meet more people and we get to interview authors and make friends and learn from them and so forth uh, but I do think that whole I mean she mentioned Amber Smith Amber was one of the first early uh, authors who was on this podcast she's been back several times she's been on Patreon she's been a supporter of other young adult uh, authors uh, she and Frank Morelli who are another young adult author on the podcast they were teaming up recently for their book 
tours. And so it's just it's this whole thing of uh, authors helping authors, and it just uh, it makes it a whole lot more fun than just being in a silo all by yourself. So uh, thanks for that uh, post. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's listen in to how you can uh, get on the podcast right now. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottereaderspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750-word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right, listeners, if you're an author out there, as Sarah just said in that little uh, piece, uh, there are plenty of ways that you can uh, be on the podcast. Uh, we might interview you. You might uh, do a blog post, which you can submit at our at our website. Uh, and, hey, you, you don't even have to go through any review processes or approval processes if you want to just put up your 30-second elevator pitch go to the contact page click on there you can leave us your elevator pitch and we'll we'll play it on the podcast um as long as it's you know not more than maybe r and a half rated or something but uh <laughs> we'll, we'll get it up there so yeah do that and engage with us uh but now we're in act three act three is a uh, book recommendations um and uh what's coming next uh in the show and we'll start out uh i don't know Anne, if you've had any time to read any books but maybe you have looked around to see if there's a book you might want to read or recommend. Yeah. So I'll go to you first. Yeah. So I actually just ordered. I um, I finally feel like I'm in a place right now where I'm about to start like stacking on the books again. But I was just reading through just some like the New York Times last week. And one of the books that kind of spoke to me was called Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor. Um, kind of like a crime novel, uh, family tragedy saga type of deal in New Delhi um I love stuff like that just kind of something that takes like a mystery thriller crime and kind of twists it into um you know the character's past kind of going back to what Paul was saying just that's the kind of stuff I really like where you kind of get to see how um the character's past impact what they get into so it sounds like this is kind of a book about um a kind of a lower income community and how someone like a a a servant gets stuck into like a crime a whole crime story it kind of reminds me of the night of i don't know if you guys saw that show but um sort of how you find somebody in like a certain predicament when they have no recollection of how they got there so i'm excited yeah. about that that's great what about uh, you sir yeah, well, I've, I've been wanting to read Age of Vice, too. I've been hearing really good things about that one. Um, but I've been reading Time as a Mother by Ocean Vuong, um, which is a poetry collection. I know his his novel called On Earth for Briefly Gorgeous was probably one of the biggest books of the last several years, very widely acclaimed. Um, and I haven't read that one yet, but I definitely want to. But this is a book that I got from a friend for Christmas, and I've been reading it kind of in bits and pieces, which is nice to do with poetry because you can sort of dip in and read a poem or two and then do other stuff. And it's been, it's been good to just read for kind of inspiration and a nice moment of reflection here and there but his poetry is really really beautiful um very personal um he does a lot of really interesting things with enjambment and line structure has really really beautiful images and lines sprinkled throughout so it's one of those things where you want to read a poem and kind of sit with it for a minute 
and then go back and read it again and sit with it for another minute and just kind of absorb the whole thing. Um, so I've been enjoying that for sure and definitely want to go and check out more of his writing after this. That's great. Well, I've, I've defaulted back. I'm reading now um, one of the really um, well-known uh, mystery authors, Walter Mosley, um, a book, uh, one of his recent books called Blood Grove. Uh, this is part of the Easy Rollins saga. Um, I like the name of that detective, Easy Rollins. Yeah. I like that too. I think he, <laughs> yeah, I think he hailed from Louisiana, mm-hmm. but now we're in California. And this is in the late 60s. Um, uh, it's funny, they talk about hippies in the book and things of that nature. So it's set in Southern California and he's going to get himself into some trouble, I can tell. It's just a He's just a really good writer, and uh, he knows how to write a mystery. The National Book Foundation calls it uh, one of his crowning achievements with the iconic detective loyalties of Easy Rowling being tested on the sun-soaked streets of Southern California. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying that. I'm about, uh, I don't know, 75 pages into it. One of the books that I'm reading, I read more than one book at a time, but uh, that's, that's, that's one I'm reading at the moment. All right, let's, hear what, uh, let's hear what Mark West uh, has to offer this week. Hello, this is Mark West with the Story Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is Coretta, My Life, My Love, My Legacy. It's a memoir of Coretta Scott King, the wife of Dr. Martin Luther King. As we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, it's important that we also celebrate and recognize the many contributions that Coretta Scott King made to the civil rights movement. And what better way to do that than to read her memoir? This memoir came out some years after her death, but in the pages of the memoir, her personality, her commitment to social justice, and her exuberance come through in every page. Highly recommend Coretta. Thank you. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. Right, we won't spam you, but we will tell you what's coming up in the next episode, won't we, Sarah? We sure will. <laughs> in the next episode, we've got an interesting mix of features coming up. We're going to feature author Paul Lamb and his novel One Match Fire, which one reviewer calls an elemental story of the love that transpires between fathers and sons. Another reviewer calls a beautiful novel that will make you ask why you were here and demand answers. We also feature author Sonia Ramsey and her book Bertha Maxwell Roddy, A Modern Day Race Woman and the Power of Black Leadership, which examines achievements and leadership in a desegregated South and offers new insights into desegregation, urban renewal, and the rise of the Black middle class. And then we also feature D.S. Davis, author of IPA, in his blog post, Hindsight Luxuries of Self-Publishing. Plus, we're going to have a thought-provoking Charlotte-lit two-minute tip, elevator pitches, and book recommendations. All right. uh, Well, thank you all very much for uh, listening, uh, giving us some of your valuable time. And until next episode, uh, read on and write on.